Have you ever been to Disneyland or Disney World, Reed? Neither. Don't plan to. Nope. You have kids. You're like the ideal target. To this point, no one's cared. They don't know any different. Meaning you haven't gotten on their marketing automation program or they haven't tracked you on social media or anything? No. They're not targeting you with ads or anything? They will now. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. All right, and welcome back to episode 140. That's 140 of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. That sure is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed, good to talk to you today. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for rating, reviewing, subscribing, all that fun stuff. Be sure to listen over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happened to get your podcasts from. We appreciate all the support. If you will, do us a couple of things Go over to the website, touchpoint.health. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter, the TPS Report. It's a great way to get a little bit of news on the industry in your inbox every Monday morning. And then, like we said, if you would, tell a friend. Still the number one way people find out about us. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back to jump in the episode. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. So Reed, last week we did a webinar for our good friends over at Medicom, and it was really about the things that we've learned through podcasting. And since we did that webinar, it really got both of us thinking about just learning in general and all the different ways that we as professionals learn and stay on top of our profession. It was funny to be able to spend a little bit of time and kind of go back and think through, gosh, well, I just said it, 140 episodes. Of course, when we did this, it was not quite 140, but, you know, close enough. The amount of people we've talked to over that period of time. Quite a bit of people. And we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. I think that just in general, the more we talk to people, the more we learn from people, the more we realize there's a lot of stuff that we actually don't know. And today's topic is really going to drive into the ways that we figured out how to learn and kind of stay atop 
of our industry. And we want to share some of that with you. And we actually have a really good interview a little bit later too, don't we? And that is also an excellent way that you can learn and uh, figure out what's going on, not just from us, but from leaders across the industry. So a little bit later, we'll hear from uh, Kathy and Mike over at Greystone, the uh, producers or inventors or executors or all the above of the healthcare internet conference that's coming up here in a few months. So anyway, we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a few minutes. But first, why don't we start with the theory of learning? I've always wanted to start a podcast probably saying that, right? Let's start with a theory of learning. <laughs> that's, that's, your new, that's your new show, right? You're, we're spinning that off. It's uh, the theory of learning with Chris Boyer. Oh, boy. I wonder how many subscribers would, would how many people would listen to that. Anyway, adult learning theory uh, is actually uh, something that I've actually spent time researching and studying in the past. You know, at one point, I was a teacher. Did you know that, Reed? I did know that. Math, right? That's right. That's right. Of course, that was for children, but not for adults, because you know, quite frankly, the way children and the way adults learn, there's a common viewpoint that children and adults learn very differently. Let's talk a little bit about adult learning theory and, and all the research around how people can learn differently. We're linking to an article, read at a website that I actually go to quite a bit. It's called lifehack.org. Have you ever been there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great site. There's an article there that was published actually just a few days ago that indicates how to apply the adult learning theory to learn faster. And it starts off talking about adult learning theory. Have you ever heard of this concept of adult learning theory before? Probably not. I don't think so, honestly. No. If you think back on how you learned through the years, back when you were a child to like now as an adult, it's probably clear for us to see that we studied differently or we learned differently. As a kid, you kind of show up at a at a schoolroom and people kind of tell you things and there is some hands-on, but a lot of it is they're teaching you sort of the basics of learning, you know, math. English, whatever it might be. And then as you get into college, the learning kind of shifts a little bit where you start to get a little bit more deeper, explore topics a little bit more deeper, and you start to actually apply things in labs and stuff like that. But then as adults, we still learn. At least many of us still learn. I think there are probably a couple of people that don't learn when they get older. 140 characters at a time. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And so there really are principles around adult learning. And so one of the four, and I'm, I'm trying not to sound like a teacher, which is odd because we are talking about learning. <laughs> yeah. but one of the first things they say is that adults really like to take part in the planning and evaluation of how they want to learn. We as adults, when we learn, we want to actually be part of the learning process. Does that resonate with you? It does. And I think that's why we've seen, you know, the idea of workshops or working sessions become popular or resonate uh, because people want that involvement. Yeah, they want to be part of that process. The second thing is really close to that too, is related to that is workshopping. That is experience serves as a foundation for, for learning. So not only do we like to be part of the process, we want to have that hands-on practical experience. I, I say it half jokingly, but it's it's really not a joke. Uh, but when people ask about podcasting, you know, I say, well, I can at least tell you what not to do. Because, <laughs> um, 
you know, we, we've kind of fumbled our way through this, uh, at least in the beginning and, and then launching other shows. And, and as you do things, us doing our own show, it gets easier, it gets better, it gets more efficient, you know, whatever it is, right? Then from the early days, certainly. But then when we launched our first show with advertising, well, that was that was different. And then when we launched our first show that we did, that we, you and I don't host, you know, has a different show host. Well, that was different. But, but now as, you know, we have additional conversations with sponsors or we have additional conversations with potential show hosts, that becomes easier because we've experienced it at this point. Yeah. And that concept actually resonates to some of the topics we've been talking about before when we've talked about social media, you know, we said that it's really important that if you're going to be starting to learn how to use a social media tool or platform for your business, you should probably use it before you actually apply it. Yep. We've also talked about, we had a, an episode, a, a number of episodes ago about failing and, and how you can learn a lot from failure. So that whole concept of experience as a foundation for learning, and that's something that we as adults, we have more experience in failing, quite frankly, and trying out things and, and using experience as a way to, to build our knowledge set. We have an entire show dedicated to it called Health Fail that's on our network. <laughs> so Zach and his co-host, uh, Michelle, all they do is talk to people about how they failed. So another pr- theory or principle around adult learning is that we as adults are inclined towards learning things, subjects, topics, whatever it may be, that have an immediate impact on our job or our career. Well, I mean, think, think about why the internet is what it is and the DIY culture is what it is. We immediately want to go learn that thing that we need to know that minute. You know, how-to stuff, how to use Google Analytics or how to use the, you know, tag manager or how to, you know, you know what I mean? So it's like you, you find yourself in the moment needing to know how to do something. Internet, YouTube specifically, uh, great for that. And so that's, I think, why you know we're inclined to look at things that way. The internet certainly serves it up. It sure does. And the other thing is, is that you and I do a, a show here about digital and healthcare and the application of that. And our audience is very much aligned to that. People listen in, I would say the majority, not all, but the majority of the people listening in, they're in the healthcare profession and they are concerned or interact with digital challenges, digital marketing, digital experience, whatever it may be. And so they listen to us as a way to learn more about what's going on in their, in that career. Yep. So the last theory is that adult learning is not centered around content, but it's centered around problems and problem solving. Now, that's kind of interesting. If you think about that, we don't go out and seek out to learn. Well, not many of us go out and seek out to learn just because of content and content curiosity. The majority of our learning occurs around solving problems. Yeah. I mean, this this goes back to the DIY how-to stuff I was just talking about, right? Like you're, you're, you're motivated by the need to complete something or figure something out. You know, I can think of a few examples. It's really funny because it sounds so foreign when you hear people talk about this. But Mike Leach, who is the head football coach at Texas Tech and now at uh, Washington State, he's very well known to like take topically different things and go learn about them and become subject matter experts. They don't have anything to do with football. So like Geronimo was one of those things. And so you you hear that like 
he spent all this time reading and learning about, and then he wrote a book about Geronimo. And it sounds so foreign because it's like, here's this football coach. And wait a minute, he's written a book about Geronimo? You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not problem solving because that's what we're all kind of focused on. And so that's why that sounds so foreign, I guess. I hadn't really thought about that. That's not to say that we don't like to explore topics that are of interest to us, but a lot of what we do when we do learn and apply that in our business is because we're learning to try to do some problem solving. This article then turns to a couple of ways that adults can benefit from knowing adult learning theory. And so let's go through those really quick, uh, just so, you know, because to set the context for what we're going to talk about the later part of the show. Absolutely. Well, the first one is uh, that they outline is to make the best use of technology. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. Use the internet, use whatever tools there are. I mean, there's so many technology tools, like you said, DIY tools, et cetera. The next one is choose a visual-based learning system. And so what that means is, is we learn with not only our, our hands and, and doing things, we like to see them too. In this day and age, with the internet becoming more and more video centric and photocentric. It's no wonder because we're using the internet as really a problem solving tool. And so we want to see that YouTube video of the DIY project as well as hear it. I mean, this is obviously why if you think about your own content strategy that, you know, video content, uh, explainer videos and, you know, animated videos, things like that do so well, because that's just the way a whole lot of folks want to see it. Third here is to use audio. Hmm. So again, it's a good idea. Yeah, making they talk about you know making use of audio descriptions, etc. But you know sometimes audio. This kind of this makes me think of when I saw this. Somebody will text you a question, and then you just call them because it's too hard to try to explain it in copy, right, or in text. Uh, so you just call them. It's like, hey, it'd just be easier to explain this to you, the nuances. Uh, you know, you kind of go through the whole thing. So I think that's what kind of that's speaking to. Another one on the list is to get actively involved in learning. Uh, you could be theoretical, but uh, honestly, they say use it, apply it, right? So that's why quite often go learn something, then we go and try to do it. I do that a lot. Like when you're going through, like you're you're either learning a new social media platform, or even if you're doing stuff on the website, right? You're, you're setting something up. You go look at it to see you're getting actively involved. Oh, I wonder if I set this code here or if I set this meta tag here, what would happen? It's a lot of that activity. Again, reinforcing that that's how adults learn. Uh, the fifth one here, uh, exercise a bit of ownership. This is interesting. I, that what they're talking about predominantly here is that the idea that you know kids are when you are a kid and you're learning, you're following typically instructions that are provided, right? I mean, they're teaching you how to do long division or whatever it is. So you're taking instruction and you're doing it in the context that someone else is providing, you know, i.e. the classroom. But with adults, they talk about, you know, they like to have you know a bit of control over the you know learning activity itself. And that's why we take defensive driving online or so I hear, yeah, you know, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, but again, and, and, and this is why I think, you know, online MBAs have become so popular, certainly. Now, some of that's obviously driven by, you know, people that have jobs and need to do it remotely. But in any case, you know, having some sort of control over that environment. 
Totally agree with that. And the supplement, the last point here, or in, in complement to that, the last point here is make use of supplementary materials. While some people might find learning to be, you know, learning by listening is effective, there are others who like to visually see it, there are others who like to read it. The good news is, is that in this day and age, there's a lot of different resources available for you to learn in multi different channels, regardless of what your personal preferences are. And you want to make use of that. And quite often I've looked at an online video and then I went and did something and then maybe I read about it in another place and you put all of that together so you can have that richer learning experience. These are really kind of the the, the six ways that they say that you can apply learning theory to learn faster. Now, we've talked a lot about learning read. How about after the break, we come back and we talk a little bit about what we learned. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right. So before the break, you asked the wonderful question, what have we learned? And uh, again, you mentioned the the webinar that we did for Tony and the fine folks over there at uh, Medicom Health. And so we thought, you know what, this is, this is really pretty interesting to kind of think back through 140 episodes of, of what we've learned through doing something like this, this is a little bit of a different medium. It touches on a lot of those points, right? It's a different medium. It's audio, there's supplementary materials. I mean, pretty much all of that stuff. And so we outlined in this webinar some, some benefits of doing what we do, which is, you know, this particular podcast. And, and the first one that really resonates with me is that it's better than blogging. <laughs> so if you're going to wait on me to write something, it's, it's, you're going to wait a while. Uh, that's just not, I don't, I don't enjoy writing. I do at times, but not consistently. You know, I've tried to blog through the years and to varying degrees of success um, have done that and still write some blogs occasionally, but not on, on the cadence, if you will, that, that we've done the podcast. And so talking into a microphone using audio or using a different medium like this has just proven to be uh, a better avenue for me. You know, what Tony said when we were doing the, the webinar last week, he said, listening to our podcast is like tuning in and listening to uh, people talking about our industry in a relevant way week after week after week. And that's really kind of how I see it, too. And it's great that he he noticed that, right? Because the second point and that we illustrate as a benefit to doing podcasting, we do this as a way to help build that relationship with you, the listeners. Um, I just broke the fifth wall there, Uh-oh. talking to you who are listening, right? <laughs> We ask a lot of our audience, you know, of our listeners, what do they want to hear about? What are their challenges? What are some of their successes? What can we learn from them? And what can we help to, to, you know, maybe learn ourselves? All of that together really builds a stronger relationship with the people listening in. Because quite frankly, Reed, I think that we do this for not only ourselves, but we do it for the people listening. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, certainly we started this for just us, right? I mean, it was yeah. a, it was an excuse mm-hmm. that forced us to talk on a on a more frequent basis versus uh, sporadically, and then obviously in person at conferences and things like that. And so, you know, the motivating factor may have started to be for us to kind of exchange notes and have a reason to to do that kind of thing, but really kind of leads to this third point, which is it's you know it's an excellent way for us to learn stay relevant, stay at the forefront, et cetera. So again, that initial motivating factor was for you and I to talk. And then also this forced us to stay on top of a particular topic because we were doing a show about it or learn a little bit or like we're going to have here shortly, have experts on the show that are subject matter experts, if you will, in a particular subject that we're not you know, in and on on a daily basis. Another benefit that we see too is that, you know, you and I speak at conferences all the time. Doing this podcast gives us the ability to understand what's of interest to people. And that in turn helps us to improve the way we present because we're talking about topics in a good way. And by the way, we're practicing every week. It's funny to say that, right? But we're practicing while we're doing this podcast to become better public speakers and stay relevant. And then finally, uh, the last benefit we kind of outlined here was uh, connects us with industry leaders. For those that have listened to the show for any period of time, you've probably noticed uh, that in each and every episode, we we talk to an expert, kind of ask the expert uh, segment of the podcast, if you will. And what's kind of been interesting is, you know, what has really come of that? Like what happens when we ask the expert? I mean, certainly we get content and things like that for the show. But again, just like you and I prepping for a show, when we do these interviews, we get an opportunity to talk to somebody that's you know super, super smart. And so what this has helped uh, me realize is that there's someone all there's always going to be somebody smarter, especially in a particular topic. And so it really keeps you from becoming complacent around this topic or this industry to be able to see what's happening. So you can imagine, you know, all the wealth of information you get when you go to the healthcare internet conference. Well, imagine talking to someone every week that speaks at the healthcare internet conference, you know, because that's, that's in essence what we're doing on the show. You know, another thing that, that we've really seen through this Ask the Expert portion of the podcast is that uh, it really is still about singles and doubles, blocking and tackling, whatever sports metaphor you want to use. There are some common needs across the industry. Like we, you know, we hear a lot about how behind we are. And I don't, you know, I I don't know that we give it a fair shake necessarily because we're, they're doing some really cool things uh, in healthcare, but there is still room for how do we respond to reviews? What about directory listings, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there's still a lot of foundational things that need to be done. And there's people that are really smart people that have found interesting ways to combat some of that. And then finally, from asking the experts, you realistically see how fast the industry is moving. And we're seeing things like technology. And we saw this with social media, even outpacing our legal and compliance side of the house. And so we're we're seeing like, okay, well, there's a lot of really interesting things happening but what are the ancillary uh, impacts uh, that that's having across the organization is pr- pretty interesting. 
You know, and from each and every one of those experts, and we could, you know, go back and we've had more than 140 experts because often we have two people and at conferences, we have multiple people on panels talking. But what we found is that there are some common trends or common things, you know, listening in, if you've listened into our show week in and week out, not a lot of you can do that. It's a, I understand it's a lot of commitment to hear us, but when you do, you're probably hearing some of these common trends. Uh, so Let's go through, read four high-level trends that we're seeing. The first one is that privacy is is becoming ever-increasing concern. We've talked about that before in a variety of shows where we talked about privacy is impacting Facebook and it's impacting how some of these social media platforms are responding. And there's some really big backlash around that. But we're also, it's not just social media, CRMs and marketing automation and all of these tools and technologies, chatbots and AI They're all getting into a variety of things that are related to privacy. I was just reading an article uh, the other day about how uh, personalization is not motivating people to give up their information anymore. And so now what we're doing is we're struggling with this high bar in the marketplace where we want to engage with people. We want to learn more about people, but they are kind of, I don't know, hiding a little bit from us because they're concerned about giving up their content for us. Yeah, absolutely. Second thing we're seeing, and and this isn't a huge shocker, uh, certainly to anybody that's listened to the show or been to a conference in the last couple of years, with all of these new tools uh, that we're seeing, chatbots, AI, machine learning seem to be top of mind, the voice search piece, uh, a lot of the things that you just mentioned as it relates to privacy. Uh, but, you know, with all this comes, you know, quite a hefty amount of responsibility. Just think about what we're able to do <laughs> versus, you know, the advertising of old, I guess. Well, when you talk about the advertising of old, that kind of really leads to the third point here, which is hospital digital marketing is expanding. I would even say that hospital marketing is becoming digital marketing, but it's not even becoming marketing anymore, right? It's We're going now into many different departments. We're talking with people, not only the call center, the foundation. We're working with IRIT folks. We're working with operations. We're working with uh, clinical teams. The role of the hospital digital marketer that you and I know is changing dramatically. And we're focusing on other strategies. We're doing things like you know, not just patient acquisition, not just branding, Mm -hmm. you know, not just communications. We're doing things like population health. We're getting into customer experience. So the whole term of digital marketing is transforming underneath of us. And that is, is really one of the major shifts that we've seen in this industry. Finally, not that there's only four uh, but the fourth one we've got here is that, you know, marketing's undergoing a, a substantial transformation. And so you've talked a number of times about agile marketing uh, here on the show. Uh, we've talked a lot about as we've seen organizations and the organizational chart in the marketing department turnover. We're, we're starting to see new job titles around, you know, precision or data science or insights, analytics, things like that, right? I mean, it's to your point that you just made, it's not just about marketing anymore. It's harder to delineate where some of these things start and stop, whether it's marketing quality, marketing ITNS, marketing and operations, you know, those types of things. With all these things that are happening in this industry, Reed, it's really, really hard for us as professionals, healthcare professionals, to feel grounded. Things are moving so fast. Things are changing so fast. And it's hard for us to stay up to date and, and learn and you know lead and be those digital professionals that we, we want to be. Because of that, 
it's really important for us to you know stay in touch with what's going on in the marketplace. And I think that leads really nicely to the interview that we're going to do. Absolutely. Very, very fortunate to have uh, two folks that have been around, well, a lot longer than you and I have. This will be the 23rd year of the Healthcare Internet Conference, if that gives you any idea. So uh, they've been around a long time. Kathy and Mike uh, over at Greystone were nice enough to join us and chat a little bit about the evolution of the conference what they've seen uh, kind of push that evolution over the last several years, and then uh, a little highlight and uh, maybe what we can expect for this year. So let's uh, let's take a quick break, and then we'll uh, jump in and, and hear from uh, hear from our friends over at Greystone. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. And today I am fortunate to actually have two experts joining me, Kathy and Mike, both of Healthcare Internet fame. Thanks for spending a couple of minutes with us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah. For those that are not familiar with Greystone, Kathy with you or Mike with you or the Healthcare Internet Conference, uh, maybe just take a second, Kathy, we'll start with you and just give... Uh, just a thumbnail sketch of your background in Greystone, and then maybe, uh, Mike, you can introduce yourself in the Healthcare Internet Conference. I'm Kathy Divis, and I'm president of Greystone Net and one of the original uh, founders of the organization. Uh, my background is probably a lot like yours, a combination of both um, provider-based marketing work um, back in the day across three academic medical centers. And then in the late 90s, starting of a a consulting practice, which um, morphed into Greystone.net over the years. Um, So I've been in healthcare marketing for close to 30 years, which is a little hard for me to even say. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Mike, what about you? Yeah, thanks, Reed. I'm Mike Schneider. I'm executive vice president. I'm a principal at Greystone. I've been in healthcare marketing a long time, too. Um, I started with a healthcare system in Ohio, and then I came to work at a healthcare system in Atlanta. And that's where I met up with Kathy Divis and John Udys. And I joined Greystone in 1996. And so I've been excited to kind of be a part of this and, and obviously long timer in the sense of um, when digital kind of started in healthcare. I think that's when we were kind of starting Greystone. So we've been, we've been on this ride for the most part since the beginning and um, lucky to be a part of it. Very cool. And, and a little bit about the healthcare internet conference for those that, that, that maybe you're not familiar. Yeah. So the healthcare internet conference this year will be our 23rd annual healthcare internet conference. And quite honestly, when we started it 23 years ago, it was entirely focused on how hospitals and healthcare systems utilize internet technology to really get their message out and to, um, you know, and in, in those days it was really just build a website. It's evolved into a lot more than that now. So HCIC, even though it's called the Healthcare Internet Conference, is really all about digital marketing. We spend a lot of time still talking about the website, but now we have a whole lot of other things like AI and chatbots and social media and uh, and those kinds of things that we get into too so it's a it's a big conference it's three days this year it's in orlando we've got over 70 different sessions between concurrence and 
um, pre-cons and uh, general sessions, and it's a, a lot of networking and an opportunity to learn a lot about the industry and meet your peers. Very cool. Very cool. Well, you, you mentioned a little bit of it, and, and Kathy, you did as well, but uh, so the tw- 23rd year, do I have that right? Is that right? You say 23? Yeah, it actually is our 23rd year. We started um, in 1996 at uh, Bally's in Las Vegas. I don't think there were probably, I don't know what, Mike, maybe 50 or 70 people there to begin with. That might even be generous. I think that's generous. <laughs> <laughs> but over the years, it's obviously grown and morphed quite a bit. But yeah, 23 years. So we, you talked a little bit about this, or I think, Mike, you did. But in, in when I went to a hospital, my, my first job in healthcare, director of marketing at a small hospital in Texas in 2003, like we had a website. I mean, you could call it that, I guess. And, you know, I mean, it was brochureware, right? But that was it. Like, that was all we had online, pretty much. And you were cutting edge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't know about that. I did take a class on, like, how to program in Flash, which is kind of funny to think back on. <laughs> but, um, you know, meanwhile, also managing the volunteers at the hospital and everything else. But, you know, it's funny, the, the evolution of this, right? So maybe, Kathy, talk for just a second. So... You know, from Bally's in in 1996 to now is is quite uh, is quite a swing in, in a relatively short amount of time in the grand scheme of things, right? But like, you know, talk through that like mid 90s through the mid 2000s. I mean, what did those conferences kind of look and feel like in that period of time? You know, it's interesting. In in the early days, it really was probably primarily the early adopters who came. The folks, perhaps like yourself, who were were doing this and trying to learn more and grow, or folks who had been the marketing directors or the volunteer directors or the PR directors, who suddenly had responsibility. The CEO had looked at them and said, hey, you, you do our website. And so they didn't know where to start. There weren't a lot of tools out there for building sites or building good digital um, platforms. And and, you know, back at that point in time, we had a, 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 a relatively small consulting practice built around marketing. And we had a lot of clients who were asking us questions about how should we do this? How can we do that? How, do, how can we take advantage of the Internet? Um, and so it seemed like a natural point, uh, kind of jumping off point for us to say, well, why don't we get a group together of these early adopters and see if we can we can educate each other? And that's kind of how it started. Um, by the mid-2000s, I guess, it had really started to take off and um, having a little bit of a personality of its own and a, a, a culture around it. Um, but I would really say, and Mike and I used to joke, it was kind of like after Y2K and, and it <laughs> yeah. know, dissolve overnight that it really started to, to pick up. But the conference as a whole has morphed tremendously over the years. And, you know, Back in the day, we might have two or three tracks and one or two keynoters, and now we've got eight tracks from everything from, you know, digital strategic planning to consumer engagement to advanced technologies and emerging technologies and, and a variety of different things. So it's, it's changed just dramatically like the industry has. 
and I can't even imagine like 10 years from now or, or 19 years from now, you know, uh, thinking about what that looks like. We'll be like teleporting places and stuff like that. But well, Mike, all right, so you, you talked a little bit uh, earlier about AI and chatbots and machine learning and virtual visits and you know, all those types of things. It's when did we really see the shift from. Well, I, you know, like you guys talked about, internet to digital, so to speak. I mean, what was that four, five, six, seven years ago? Social media? Here's an analogy, Reed. I I always think about it like, um, I don't know if you remember, but there were always those graphics that would say, you know, this is the universe of social media. And if you looked at the universe of social media in 2000, you know, you were lucky to have four or five little logos on there. And then if you looked at it in 2010, you know, maybe there were 500 logos on it. And, and if you looked at it now, maybe there are 5,000 logos on it of all the different small players that are out there and different possible things related to social media. And I feel like that's how the Internet conference has been. I mean, when we started out, it was the Internet. It was World Wide Web and websites and hot links. And, you know, the biggest thing we had to worry about was really content. And photos. I mean, people didn't even think about video on a website because you were dialing into a phone line and you couldn't upload it fast enough. <laughs> I mean, we even worried about animated GIFs back in the old days, you know, whether you really get the bandwidth to do that or not. But but now, you know, I think it gets back to the, I think that timeline that you're talking about in the last five years, it's just exploded exponentially in terms of the uh, cutting edge types of technology that we're talking about. So it's streaming video and it's voice, you know, search and it's, um, you know, Alexa commands and it's wayfinding and it's all of these other things that healthcare organizations are dealing with that just by virtue of the fact that it's digital, it falls into the lap of the people that were primarily at one point in time responsible for the website. And they're now responsible for a hundred other things. What what has the rest of the consumer's life uh, done for hospitals, done for healthcare? And what I mean, I guess, is you know we keep we hear about the digital front door, we hear about consumerism. It, has the expectation just shifted to a point that uh, things like voice search and chatbots and all that? I mean, you know, are, are, is there room still to talk about the website? I think um, the rise of consumerism has just dramatically changed healthcare marketing and frankly, probably all marketing, regardless of industry, um, in a way that it's um, never going to come back from. In the sense that we now have um, consumers who are always connected, always have um, information at their fingertips. They have more information that they've ever had before. So they're, they're in, totally in control of the decisions that they make. You know, you were talking a little earlier about social media. Social media was a turning point in many ways, in many, many ways. But from a marketing and branding perspective, it was a turning point because, you know, consumers kind of went away from listening to the corporate voice or the corporate brand for information or searching there for information and started turning to family and friends and, frankly, to strangers and getting their information about your organization and your services and your programs off of websites and rating sites and things like that. So, you know, consumers have completely flipped the script on how we market and how we move forward. And 
I think that's only going to continue as we go forward. And they want convenience and they want information now. And they don't really care if it's 10 o'clock at night. They still want to make that appointment with your with the doctor. Um, and they don't really want to talk to anybody on the phone if they don't have to. You know, they want to be able to do it by text or online. So the world as we've known it has changed completely. Yeah. And I would just add to that, that it is pushed by the rest of the world. I mean, when you can go online and buy movie tickets and you can go online and make a dinner reservation, and then you can talk about your experience online, you can read about the movies online, or you can read about the food that you're eating online. People expect that in every aspect of their lives. And I mean, it's ridiculous what you can do online now. You can buy a car and have it delivered to your house. I mean, things that you in the past would have said, there's no way that people will use the internet for that. Now it's all coming true. And so they expect that out of healthcare too. And we're kind of being pushed into it. I mean, at the risk of insulting the healthcare industry, I don't see the healthcare industry leading the way and pulling restaurants and banks and car dealerships along with it. I think, I think it's the opposite. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, and, We've been doing a little bit of research for a presentation I'm doing, or I've been doing a little research for a presentation I'm doing on kind of the global impact uh, of digital health. And one of the things that we're finding, and one of the reasons we're, I, I'm looking at some of that is because so many of our healthcare organizations are now having hospitals and affiliations and stuff in London and Ireland and Asia and South America, I mean, all over the world. And so you kind of have to pay attention to what's going on globally. And I will tell you, you know, even the United States is not the leader globally from a digital health perspective. And so there really is a frontier out there that we're going to have to um, to go through and and really figure out how we bring this whole industry up to what the consumer's expectations are. And it's hard, right? I mean, we're we're still working with the same budgets, uh, many of us, the same staff, but it's it's fun all at the same time, I guess. It's it gives you a chance to be innovative. It gets you a chance to think outside the box, um, and also to do some things that really make a impact on someone's life for in a good way. It can really make care more accessible, make it more friendly, make it easier to get to. So um, it's it's innovative, but it's also something that I think is is passionate work. Let's shift just a little bit. I want to talk specifically about the conference, and uh, we've talked about it, you know, being around for a lot of years, and how the the content of the conference has has evolved. Certainly, uh, has the attendee evolved? Are different people attending now than used to? You know, I would say um, yes, absolutely. Different people are attending. Um, in the earlier. Um, days of the conference, we had a lot of um, what I would call webmasters um, or lower level people within a marketing department that had been assigned responsibility for the web in particular. As the industry has changed, so has the attendance in our conference because, you know, for quite a while, you know, there was website and there was marketing and then there was probably traditional marketing and digital marketing. And then that kind of merged into trade, traditional marketing. And we, we find that's even going away you know, to a certain degree. And it's kind of just going back to marketing now. But that's a long way of saying that 
more and more of the marketing staff is attending because they have responsibility for digital activities beyond the website. More and more data-related positions are attending. So people who have responsibility for data science or data management, CRM, analytics, um, you know, some technical staff are, are, are attending. And, you know, the other thing we're finding is a lot more senior people um, in, and in two ways, some senior folks, some CMOs and senior vice presidents who just want to learn more um, about the various types of marketing and activities that are going on, and then some who are really very active in it and are sharing. And so we're finding, you know, a, a nice really breadth of people that are coming. Um, and as that footprint that we as marketers, healthcare marketers, have responsibility for traditionally and digitally, we're finding more and more of those folks showing up on our, our doorsteps at the conference. That's awesome. Mike, what about where does patient experience fit into all of this? Historically, that's been something very different, right? And there's been uh, consulting organizations uh, through the years, like the Studer Group, the Baptist Leadership Group, you know, people that focused in that world and they had their own conferences and things like that. I feel like with the digital front door and consumerism, like we talked about earlier, that um, it's becoming less clear where marketing starts and stops and patient experience starts and stops. Is that, are you seeing kind of the similar? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's one of the, I would say, most remarkable trends that we've seen especially in the last couple of years. And I would, I would extend that. So I think it's patient experience. And I think it's also digital experience. I mean, we find out that the, the digital impact that someone has, whether they're coming in you know, through social media or whether they're on your website or using your app, has an impact on their perception of your brand and your organization overall. So you can have a perfectly good clinical outcome, but if you go to the website and you pull up the online billing page and you get a 404 error, or you try to do it through the through the app, and and the message that you get is call this telephone number, then you feel like you've gotten this disconnect from the organization, and your perception of them as a technology leader or as a market leader is somewhat diminished. So so that experience extends to the brand, and that experience extends to the entire patient experience from beginning to end, which is from you know the point in time you walk in the door as a patient to the point in time that you finished paying your bill. Reed, one thing I might add to that comment is not only are we seeing integration with patient experience, but we're also seeing integration with, with other areas of operations. So, you know, I don't think there's been a time when marketing and operations have been so intertwined because now marketing and digital are a big part of how you pay your bill, how you schedule an appointment, how you um, get your test results, how you refill a prescription. I mean, you can go through the uh, through almost every aspect of it. So now more than ever in, in the in the past, marketing and operations have to be in lockstep. So what can we expect this year down in Orlando? Uh, talk a little bit about the keynotes and, and kind of what, uh, what you guys are excited about for this year. We've got um, three keynotes um, this year that we're excited about. Um, two of them are brand new keynotes on the main stage at HCIC, and one is a, is a repeat encore performance. Um, we're going to start on Monday afternoon with really a panel discussion about reputation 
and how you protect it and grow your reputation online. And that's going to have, um, I, I believe it's got three um, healthcare CMOs or, or marketing directors who are going to be talking about really how they're protecting and growing their reputation online. Um, and then we're going to be followed by um, um, Tuesday morning, the keynote's going to be a, a a guy by the name of Brian uh, Fanzo. And if you don't know Brian, he's um, he's quite a personality. He um, calls himself a pager-wearing millennial. And um, he's going to talk a, a little bit about really digital apathy, apathy, a little um, empathy, excuse me, a little different than um, anything we've had before. But um, I think it'll be fun. If you remember um, Scott Stratton from any of our past presentations or keynotes, He's, um, he's um, being mentored by Scott, so um, that might give you a little bit of an idea what he might be like. And um, then we're going to close on Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock. Our last keynote speaker is going to be a gentleman by the name of Larry Balin, who's been on our stage once or twice before. And he's very uh, dynamic and has great examples and great energy, and he's going to really talk about marketing in this age instance. And uh, so we think we have three really dynamite um, uh, panels and, and, and. Very cool. Very cool. Mike, what about you? Is there any uh, track or uh, topic that uh, uh, you're particularly uh, kind of excited for this year? Well, this year we have um, an even greater preponderance of, um, again, some of what I would call the, the cutting edge type technologies that are out there. So we're talking a little more about, uh, voice search and virtual assistants and Alexa and those kinds of things. And there are a number of presentations on each of those topics. So I think that's timely. As always, we have a, a sprinkling of CRM and marketing automation success stories, examples, and we've even got um, one that will be titled Moving Beyond CRM. You know, so we're talking a little bit about how we take this all to the next level. And then, um, you know, one of the other things that we do every year is we have some pre-cons. And one of our pre-cons is about mergers and acquisitions and dealing with um, digital brand and, and bringing multiple organizations together into one. And I think that's going to be pretty exciting just because I think a lot of folks are dealing with that right now. You know, we I do that in my day life, I guess, or our firm does. And I, that is a super I'm going to I'm going to definitely try to make it to that because that is a. Uh, a huge need and something that we see quite a bit, which is, you know, you're kind of locked into some of these platforms and then you merge or you're acquired. And, you know, what do you do about the reputation? What do you do about the branding uh, messaging and, and all that kind of fun stuff? So that, that is, that's cool. That's, that's something a little bit different. And uh, that's what I always like about the healthcare internet conferences. It's uh, it's a great place, certainly for education, for uh, new topics. Check out some vendors. Uh, the networking, of course, is always a lot of fun. So, you guys do a great job. We have people tell us all the time when they come to HCIC, they feel like they've come and, and met their tribe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, kind of along those lines, if folks uh, have not decided yet, maybe they, they're planning to register or what have you, uh, and they'd like to connect with you guys online or register for the conference, uh, any important dates we need to know or uh, directions for those folks out there? A couple of things. Uh, if they're interested in registering, they can just go to the uh, conference website and there's a big orange button on it that says register now. And that website address is www.hcic.net. 
hotel room discount. The block closes on the 11th of October. Um, that doesn't mean there won't be rooms after that, but it'll just be depending on um, what's available and, and such. But we, we still have rooms in our block. So right now people can go online and register and really they could, they can register up until, till the conference starts. But um, those are those are the key things to know right now, I think. Mike, what's the best way if people have heard stuff or curious or interested in knowing a little bit more, what's the best way to track you guys down online? There are, as always, just multiple ways you can find us. Um, our website is graystone.net. So if you go to our website, you can find us there. Kathy and I are both on LinkedIn. Um, so you can find us there as well. And, um, and obviously on the hcic.net website, um, you can find us that way too. And we uh, respond pretty quickly to emails and messages and those kinds of things. And we're happy to answer any questions about the conference or any questions about digital marketing in general. Perfect. Perfect. And we'll be sure to link to all that in the show notes. So, well, guys, this is uh, this has been great. I'm excited. I know Chris and I can't wait to get down there. We'll probably record uh, uh, an episode of the podcast while we're there. And uh, it's always a good time. And we appreciate the the hospitality, certainly, and just uh, excited to get down there and see everybody. We're excited to have you, too. Can't wait. Thank you. Oh, it's always great to hear from Kathy and Mike, and I'm so excited for the upcoming Healthcare Internet Conference uh, down in Orlando, Florida. When we get down there, Reed, maybe I'll be able to drag you out to Disney World. Mm, Probably not. (laughs) <laughs> you never know. <laughs> but before we go to the Healthcare Internet Conference, we have one other conference that we're going to we're going to go to, right? That's right. So, uh gosh, as you hear this, we're probably only 2 weeks, is that right? Maybe 2 weeks away from the uh 2019 Mayo Clinic Social Media Network Annual Conference, which is up in Rochester, Minnesota. So, October 22nd, 23rd, at Mayo's home campus there in Rochester. Uh, You and I will be there speaking, recording, hobnobbing, all the fun stuff we do. And maybe even taking that art tour, the famous art tour that we keep talking about. If you're going to be at that conference, be sure to reach out to us, say hello, and we'd love to hear from you. Then we're going to go to the Healthcare Internet Conference a couple weeks later, and that's in in, uh, Orlando, Florida, on November 4th through the 6th. You can find out more at hcic.net. We're going to be, uh, well, I'm going to be speaking there. And then um, we're going to also be doing a podcast recording there as well. Right, Reed? That is right. That'll be a lot of fun. And, and again, you just heard quite a bit about it on, on the interview today. Uh, but we do do recommend you check that out. Um, or rooms sell out, prices go up, all that kind of fun stuff. All right, before we get out of here, let's do a couple of recommendations. I'll go first today. I'm going to recommend, you know, I've recommended some Yeti products historically. I think I recommended a cooler, I don't know, a few months ago, something like that. But I recently bought, I've always used like the little Yeti uh, tumbler or whatever for my coffee in the mornings because it just stays hot longer and that kind of thing, which is cool. But, I, you know, I was drinking an awful lot of water during the day, which is great. Uh, but I started realizing, like, how many water bottles that is, like plastic and all that kind of stuff. And so I thought, surely there's, I mean, 
save the environment, whatever you want to call it. But I thought just probably a less wasteful way to do this. And so anyway, I, I bought a uh, Yeti Rambler. I got the 18 ounce bottle. So this has like the, you know, it's like the aluminum with the screw top lid, you know, kind of thing. Uh, the 18 ounce though, I like because it's, it's narrow enough that it will fit in the drink holder, like in my car, you know, it's not one of these gigantic, like thermos sized, you know, things, but it would be great certainly for coffee or, or whatever. I just keep refilling it with water, uh, throughout the day and it's, it's got kind of the handle on the top. So it's, it's kind of convenient to, you know, lug around to meetings and, and stuff like that. So Yeti Rambler, they make them in a bunch of different sizes. I specifically got the 18 ounce, uh, bottle. You must have every Yeti product there no, is. I really don't have, but just a couple of things, but but they do they do make a nice product. I do like it. They're they're based in Austin, where I just moved from, so it was always neat to kind of see some of that stuff. So yeah. Well, that's cool. That's a great recommendation. I'm going to be recommending a podcast. Oh. Reed, I came across this podcast. It's called America Dissected, and the host is uh, Dr. Abdul El Sayed. What this podcast is about is about healthcare in America. I'll read the little description they have here. What is really up with anti-vaxxers? Can crystals actually heal you? Uh-oh. Is loneliness making us sick? And who does our health system really serve? And this is a 10-part series called America Dissected. And it goes beyond the headlines to explore what re- really matters for health. Now, this guy is a doctor. He's a, he's a clinical doctor, evidence-based, science-driven. The first episode is about anti-vaxxers. And it is just phenomenal because he goes into what inspired the whole movement around anti-vaxxers. How did it get to be where it is today? And moreover, like as a doctor, as a medical doctor, how can the the industry, the healthcare industry in America, help to right-size that that what's happening, you know, right-size that epidemic, I should say, that's happening. And it promises to be every episode is going to go into some of the on-the-fringe healthcare things. The next episode is about some of the holistic products that are a little bit on the edge and not evidence-based. Um, and he really goes into it with a fair eye. He's he very much like a reporter, but uh, he, he certainly brings into light a lot of things. And since it's so relevant to our industry and it's he's kind of a fun you know um, host, I would definitely recommend listening to it. America Dissected. Uh, awesome recommendation. Great show as always. Uh, again, website touchpoint.health. Rate, review, subscribe. Listen up on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may grab your content from. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.